The Genealogy of Cybersecurity is a new kind of podcast. Here we'll interview notable entrepreneurs, startup advising CISOs, venture capitalists, and more. Our topic? The problems of cybersecurity, new attack surfaces, and innovation across the startup world. Welcome. I'm your cybersecurity analyst, Paul Shomo. So uh, my name is Idan, and I'm the CTO and co-founder uh, at Asterix. Uh, prior to Asterix, I was about uh, 10 years in the Israeli army, uh, mainly on the offensive side, started from the world of uh, technological analysis of magic strategic weapons, and then moved to, to the cybersecurity field, uh, both on the hands-on and leading positions. And uh, this is where I met my co-founder as well. So we know each other from 2007. And following these 10 years, so I left as a, as a major and I joined a company called Deep Instinct. It's a next-gen antivirus company based on deep learning before generative AI became a thing. Uh, and I was a low-level developer over there. It's a um, uh, product manager as well. Well, congratulations on making Innovation Sandbox. It's a, it's a great promotional platform for a startup and, and a nice validation of what you've done so far. Thank you. Thank you. We are very excited uh, to be nominated and uh, very happy to be able to demonstrate what we do and how we help customers. New malware families or vulnerabilities don't typically start cause new startups or product categories to arise. In my experience, startups are typically arising to cover a brand new attack surface. And APIs have been around for a while, and we've had products that secure an API by itself. But you're you're protecting really, it's really a new attack surface. Can you explain this API to API connection problem? Yeah. So I think that what happened along uh, the last couple of years, uh, maybe a decade as well, is a few technological trends that also are reflected in organizations uh, because organizations want to take advantage of technological trends, obviously, uh, to drive productivity. Uh, and the first one is IT decentralization. The fact that uh, organizations have different departments holding accountable for different solutions that they have. Then we have a SaaS explosion. Uh, coming with SaaS unbundling, allowing, you know, not having just, uh, let's say, a web SaaS, but also an API only uh, based SaaS uh, to solve just, you know, sometimes a niche but important problem that organizations are willing to pay. And on top of that, created new platforms and an entire platform, platform move for, uh, you know, let's say, the Salesforce of the world, uh, the Google Workspace of the world, the 365 of the world adding to that low-code and no-code. And I think that, like, I wasn't used to say it, but I think that now with uh, generative AI, the ability of things to be created so fast, being based on API-based access to where the data exists, is actually also driving uh, another driving force. And all of this together is actually allowing the organization to take advantage of the data that is mostly stayed in one specific place, maybe you call it, right, the platform uh, that is relevant for the organization, but also to allow connectivity and to allow to better utilize and connect more and more utilities, products, solutions in order to take advantage of it. And with the level of democratization that exists, it makes it super hard for organization to actually know what is connected to what, was it connected correctly, what is the level of the exposure that is being created. It happens both on the external side and the internal side, so people, the processes themselves, cannot manage the amount of uh, new opportunities that are coming to the organization, but also from an internal standpoint. It sounds, it sounds like a, a big issue that I, I don't think we're thinking about. Also, you, you mentioned um, generative AI. For those that haven't really, in terms of generating a new API to access your data with generative AI, 
How easy is that today? Yeah, so I think that, you know, every week it's becoming easier. But I think that the last thing that, you know, that I thought that, okay, this is like, this is crazy. So let's, let's take two months ago. Two months ago, in order to create a new app in your organization, you had to know, I don't know, Zapier or Workato, one of the local no-code platforms in order to actually create it, which is already very easy because you don't have to be a developer. You can be, you know, a regular person with a, a logical mindset. But now you can actually do it like in two sentences. You can write to something, okay, I would like to take data from that place, doing this and that for that. And then, all right, all of a sudden you have an app. And, and now it is, it is that easy. And you can see that the very first integration is happening uh, already. And this is the new world that we are going to have, which is amazing, uh, but uh, also creates new risks. It's, it's good to have people like you on that are keeping an eye on it because people are having trouble keeping up with it. But can you help us understand the magnitude of the problem, the the API to API connection problem? So, you know, Fortune 1000 company, roughly speaking, mm -hmm. how many APIs do they typically have and how much connections are there? Yeah, so, they, so I can tell you from like platforms that we monitor for Fortune 1000, also Fortune 500 companies, uh, that we're hoping with this uh, problem space and they would have like thousands if not tens of thousands of uh, api-based connections to their environments and when i'm saying api-based connections i include all sorts of things so these are applications uh, and these are uh, workflows of all sorts that are just you know one integration on one side but all sorts of other integrations on the other side moving the data taking advantage of it this is another thing and everything that relates to API keys, service accounts, secrets of all sorts that exist and are moving and uh, migrating inside of the organization outside, by the way, mostly outside of the production environment or where, where application security teams are highly focused on. And this is allowing to, you know, ops teams to take advantage of the different possibilities that they have. But it's not yet where organizations are actually seeing this uh, as a, I don't know, as an existing thread. They are already had their personal in place. Like companies that we work with obviously see it. Uh, and I think that it's very easy to explain why it is important also. Um, but this is the how, how things uh, look like. So thousands of integrations, uh, thousands of API-based connections. You brought up a good point there in that um, if you're inside of DevOps, you're inside of you know, the, the purview of sec of application security, that there there are people that do this that know security or have certain certain standards or qualities for uh, or, or yeah. for quality assurance. But anybody out in the business side can just create an integration between two apps. So it's got to be the wild wild west compared to just straight APIs. Completely, and I think that. You know, sometimes uh, we ask, you know, who is responsible or who is accountable for that? And to what extent of responsibility do you hold people in the organization? And I think that we see it that so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the product, but I want to just to, to mention that, you know, when we see how we help organization to bridge the gap, like bring the security language to the language of the admins of the, you know, the other platforms that we monitor for them, Okay, so it makes total sense for them. And in, by the way, in some cases, you know, we have a, a head of teams, team leaders of, let's say, automation platforms of all sorts. And they're saying, okay, we have a team 
And we also don't have like the level of governance to understanding the, uh, the ability to make sure that everything that is going over, you know, down here, which is amazingly good for the organization in terms of automation, is actually following, you know, policies, rules, uh, and accepted uh, behavior, uh, and, uh, and and is actually moving, you know, just the positive value of it. So, so it's very hard outside of the DevOps world. And then have have there been any high profile breaches we maybe heard about in the news that were related specifically to these API to API connections? Yeah, so definitely Circle CI as a one example. Uh, in this late, late December, Circle CI was breached. I think that they have 1,000 customers. All of the tokens that these customers provided to Circle CI in order to uh, you know help with their CI CD pipeline. So access to their production environment, access to their GitHub or their GitLab, access to all sorts of other places in the organizations. All of these tokens, this is what seems to be based on the on the news and the request from CircleCI that everybody will rotate the keys that they can rotate, right? The deploy keys. This was a, like a major problem for many organizations, not only organizations that are not necessarily utilizing CircleCI, but it was integrated to them. But everybody that this is their production environment, their continuous development, continuous integration, actually working less than that. This is one example. So can you give me some examples of sensitive data that's being passed recklessly? Yeah. So first of all, everything that you could imagine and a bit more than that, but I can share with you cases that we saw connectivity or connections um, to Salesforce uh, platforms uh, with an uh, admin level permissions uh, to a random third party uh, with an in, with like an individual developer um, that has access to the entire you know sales information of the company without anybody actually acknowledging, knowing that sometimes not, it's not even in use. Like it's not that people are actually taking advantage of this specific integration or application, but the data still moves uh, over there. So this is like one example. Another example is, you know, documents of all sorts that are, let's say, the ones that most companies really want to keep just to themselves and just to like very few people that are, let's say, VIPs inside of the organization. But all of a sudden, they have an off application that integrates on top of it and have access to all of these documents. And they're actually taking these documents. Maybe they're not doing anything with it, right? When we're thinking about third-party risk in this perspective, we're talking a lot about you know the trusted platforms and the much less trusted platforms. And how do you like how do you close this gap? That exist uh, over here, and now they reduce the attack surface that you might have. So this is another another case, uh, for instance. But I can also show it, you know, from the engineering side. Later in December, CircleCI incident erupted. Everybody wanted to uh, change their keys. I can show with you that, you know, with companies in the pipeline, colleagues as well. Like, you know, we are coming from the uh, security uh, from the security ecosystem, and we need to be helpful for many. Customers that we had, they were not even using Circle CI. Somebody POC'd it, still had access to production environment, uh, to code repositories, uh, even to their Snowflake or to their Slack. Why? Because this is how things work in this interconnectivity world. Like if I would show you like a map of how like you know interconnected suppliers are actually accessing digital suppliers, are actually accessing different types of platform, right? So it's not just you know. You know, a one solar system with everything just around it, but it's a very complex uh, map and understanding of what is actually connected to what and who is holding what integration. 
nobody is monitoring what we call non-human identities, right? Or this kind of uh, keys, apps, et cetera, et cetera, allowing this uh, thing to happen. So people can go back and look at Circus AI or Slack, the Slack breaches if they wanted to, to get an example. You, you mentioned non-human identities. Uh, yeah. th- there's a lot more of those than humans in organizations these days, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that there was a, a research in the last couple of months talking about 45 times more identities of non-human identities in comparison to identities. And actually, I was in a, in a Gartner IM summit in London a few uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the leaders that uh, uh, the, one of the leader analysts. Uh, over there, so he said that. Uh, so actually, everybody are calling. You know, all of the regular companies that are doing identity are calling their some identity companies, but it's actually not fair because there are so many non-human identities. So if the other companies that are sometimes doing non-human identities, like Asterix and others, should be like the regular ones, and the others should be the non-non-human identities companies. Uh, if we're talking about majority in terms of uh, setting, you know, the the title. These identities, these APIs, um, they're connected together in, in kind of a web. Are, are are you using the term like like there's a cyber mesh, there's a SaaS mesh? Are you calling this like the API mesh? Is is mesh the right term that you use? So we we sometimes use the word mesh. Um, um, yeah, it, it's it's a good wording. I just think that sometimes uh, people think about it only from a SaaS perspective, uh, which is a uh, it's, it's a bit misleading because it happens to SaaS and to pass like in the data warehouses. It happens in uh, IaaS environment, the cloud environments themselves. It's happened in uh, integration platforms. It happened in your service mesh. It happens in your ETLs. Like it's it's all around the place. And so it's uh, it is not uniquely for SaaS, even though SaaS uh, really helps it to grow exponentially. I think beyond identifying these connections, this mesh connections, what can you tell us is being done between two APIs on a single connection? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the time it depends. Uh, It depends on the on the platform itself and the ability of us uh, to to digest the data uh, or the metadata to be specific uh, over there. Um, But in many cases, we can talk about the level of usage and the specific uh, permissions and the, behavior, the regular behavior of a specific integration, whether it's an internal one or an external one, uh, we are able to cross-correlate it with uh, threat intelligence, which is something that is pretty rare to find in this domain as well. So it's also part of the things that, that we are doing in order to create a better database or better understanding or knowledge base, uh, to be to be exact. Um, and you know how things are actually changing. What is you know the life cycle? Of these non-human identities, people are putting much emphasis on human identities lifecycle, uh, but a lot of happening just uh, behind the scenes in these identities, and people normally don't see it, and it's not closely related to a person, right? So there is no like source of truth for this world. There isn't like the HR system that you know has all the people of the organization, and based on that, their human digital identities. Over here, it's a different sphere, right? I'm just just to understand how your product works a little more. Are you asking these APIs what they share through, a, through through their APIs, or you have to analyze their code, or you some kind of proxy? What does that look like? Yeah. So our our current solution uh, is actually a read-only metadata only. So we integrate it to a platform that the organization wishes to monitor. So as I said, you know, these are like the major platform for each organization normally 
the Salzburg, the 365, etc. These are the center of gravity, if you would like, both in terms of data, in terms of ops uh, for the organization. And based on that, we are doing this kind of analysis, which is like uh, internal uh, to external, right? So to understand what is accessing this specific uh, one, we map them. Once we, are, once we have like information from all sorts of different platforms, we can also cross-correlate them and talk more about, you know, a supplier perspective perhaps, right? So it's not like just the perspective of one platform that we monitor, but the entire uh, understanding of the organization and how things are actually connected. But are, are you are you actually looking at the traffic or are you asking each app? Okay, you are. Okay. So so again, it depends. It depends on the data uh, or the metadata that uh, exists. We are currently not a proxy, uh, but it is something that we are looking into down the road. As I said, maybe at the beginning, we really want want to help organization to bridge the gap between trusted platforms and less trusted platforms. And in some of the cases, there is kind of an artificial problem that was created. Uh, because of the um, insufficient uh, level of monitoring, auditing, uh, granularity of permissions, etc., uh, which creates an opportunities uh, as well in this uh, in this uh, space. You mentioned a few a few of the the central data repositories. You, you said three sixty five. Let's go back over that a bit. So so over those again, and then you, and you and how do you deploy there? Yeah. So so it's actually by two clicks. Uh, so in many cases, we're either getting a key, you know, part of uh, the ability to interconnect the things. So we either get a key, which is a read-only metadata or an app that it's just two clicks. And uh, it would be like a, an app in Salesforce Marketplace. It would be an app in 365, uh, all sorts of, uh, of these uh, kind of uh, platforms, marketplaces, or just a very simple key. Uh, and that's it. We are connected. Okay, so you, so you'll be an app in in the marketplace of their really their central data hubs that, that their business revolves around. Okay, uh, tell us where we can reach Asterix Security online. Yeah, so it's very easy. Asterix.security. Um, this is our website, and uh, we have a very good uh, LinkedIn uh, profile as well. There are very interesting uh, blogs as well in the website, and uh, that we try to highlight things that uh, should be important for organization. Uh, a bit uh, less, uh, I don't know, uh, trying to sell and a bit more trying to explain. Um, and it's super important for us. And we understand that we are in a new-ish domain. It's a it's a brand new attack surface. And that's one of the reasons to go to uh, startups, innovative startups, and, and read their resources. Because you, you, you probably have this attack service in your organization. And that's also why I have this show, because learning about these new attack services, it's a big deal. I, I'd imagine when you show one of your customers the visualization in your product and they see all the connections, they're probably pretty surprised at them. Yeah, there is a, there is a small wow. Hey, make sure you hit like and then follow or subscribe to the Genealogy of Cybersecurity podcast. Why? Because this show lets you gaze into the future. Seriously, though, security is changing fast. The shift towards cloud and application security came more suddenly than anything seen in our industry's history. But it's not going to settle down. Cybersecurity is going to get a lot crazier with generative AI and automation. The genealogy of cybersecurity is where you get first access to the visionaries of building our future, from entrepreneurs and technologists to those CISOs and venture capitalists that actually have their hands on the financial levers of future R&D. Here on the genealogy of cybersecurity, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed.